0: Well, good afternoon and thank you once again for joining me for Business, the Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at our Harvard Business Review tip. This particular one is make quick, direct feedback as part of your routine. We'll also be chatting with Christina a bit later on. We'll be looking at moving your goals as as your years in business progress. But right now, we're going to have a chat with Rani Garner. For a partner with Terminal Hill Lawyers, and we're going to be talking about getting your business ready for sale. Good afternoon, Rani. Hi, Julian. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for joining us today. So, uh, getting our business ready for sale. I suppose the first thing we want to think about is how much are we going to sell it for. What's what's the how important is that getting that price right? Well, I think
1: for most people, if you've um, put in the time and effort to build a business, you want to make sure that if you're leaving that hopefully secure income, that you know uh, what the benefit is going to be. And picking a price, depending on the market, is, is always important. But what you have to consider is if you say, I want to sell my business for... $500,000, $500,000, um, getting a bit of an idea before you price it at that, um, what your walkaway figure would be. And, and what I mean by that is um, on a contract, you may have a purchase price of 500000 but that'll be subject to a number of adjustments. So uh, and a, a more obvious one is staff adjustments. So if you have employees, um, not in every case, but in most cases, you will have to pay out things like long service leave, um, annual leave and things like that, um, which may mean depending on your staff and how long they've been there, that you you could walk away with less money than than actually on the front page of the contract. Also considering things like uh, debtors that you may have, paying out liabilities or leases for equipment, Um, you may then incur accountancy fees and obviously legal fees.
0: And, And I presume the balance sheet will give us some idea of what the business is worth?
1: Um, so there's, there's two elements there. One is um, what the numbers say the business is worth, and then the other component will be the goodwill component, um, which is what your business is seen um, in relation to the, the public. So why you may pick, say, one tyre place over another tyre place is because it has a good reputation. So there's also a goodwill component.
0: Yeah, and that's always something, a challenge to put a figure on. Um, uh, What about intellectual property? Do I put a value on my intellectual property?
1: Because you spend a lot of time developing your intellectual property as well as your IT, such as your IT systems. Um, uh, Intellectual property can include trademarks, uh, the way, the process that you may have to do something, which um, is the reason that someone is purchasing your business rather than starting up their own. So you should have a good idea of what your intellectual property is, know how much it took you roughly to develop that, um, and and then consider that as part of the, the the price.
0: So again, I suppose a bit like goodwill, it would be a little challenging to put a a, a value on some of that intellectual property.
1: It, it can be, but um, you know, Coke, uh, Coca Cola, for example, um, you know, they trademark that particular red colour mm. and no one else can use it and they do a lot to protect that um, and if coke came out and you bought it and it was blue um, it, it wouldn't be the same so there is a lot of value in that mm. um, and and usually uh, you can get some advice about um, what value that might be
0: So what about uh, leases? How do I handle any leases in place?
1: If you have um, if you're renting premises then um, again it It's uh, matter-to-matter, but um, the majority of leases uh, have an ability to be assigned, which means that they can be transferred with the business subject to the landlord um, agreeing. Uh, If I act for a landlord and the tenant is selling the business, what we usually ask for is a resume of the person or entity purchasing the business we want to look at the financials to check that they're um, sound and one thing to consider is if you've given a bank guarantee or a security deposit deposit you want to make sure you get that back um, and also if you are purchasing a business uh, knowing that you have to come up with a replacement bank guarantee or security deposit and having your resume and qualifications ready for when a landlord asks and making sure you can not only buy that business but operate from where that business operates from.
0: Okay, well the the other thing I suppose is stock and I suppose that would depend on the on the business, but would would I include stock in my pricing?
1: It, it it does depend on the business so um a one that uh, often it comes into is a hairdressing salon um so hairdressers you walk in and they often have different um products on sale and whether that you're going to include that in your purchase price or not and it depends on the value of stock because if it's a walk in walk out basis um you're buying that business with so you can walk in and have everything available to you and what you need but if you have a huge amount of stock um, you may not want to just hand that over you may want to do a stock take and say you you pay this amount for all those things we talked about which is the business and then this is the stock that you're going to need it also means for a purchaser they may not want all the stock Mm. that's being sold
0: yeah because there could be uh, a lot of uh, stock just sitting there that's not moving
1: Yeah, about to be out of date or something like that.
0: Yeah, Uh, Well, when I come to uh, looking at the contract, what what attachments do I need to add to that contract?
1: Um, There's a a fairly standard sale of business contract, but attached to that so that you're in a position to um, minimise uh, your legal fees, Um, you need to have a spreadsheet of your employee entitlement, so uh, their years of service, their wages, what type of employment they have. You need copies of any leases, um, a list of any plant or equipment uh, that's being sold as part of the business. Uh, most businesses have a ASIC business name certificate and you should locate that. Uh, if you're a franchise, any of your franchise agreements, um, and in some cases, if if you know that the purchaser is going to be buying a business because of uh, key contracts you have, you should have those contracts ready to attach as well.
0: Great. Well, thanks very much for your time, Rani. And you're listening to Business, The Law and You on 2NURFM. Time to have our chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina.
2: Good afternoon, Julian. How are you?
0: Oh, you're loud and clear this week. It's good. Excellent.
2: I'm very happy about that.
0: (laughs) So, so we're going to talk about uh, moving our goals as the years progress in our business.
2: Yes, we are, because in a business we can't really afford, particularly um, with the way things are changing. You know, the pace of change, as everybody keeps saying, the pace of change is accelerating. Change is happening exponentially. So, as a business, we can't afford to not move our goals not revisit our vision and not reset direction every now and again. Um, And that's become quite clear over the last few days. Um, We've had some university uh, students, entrepreneur students from the University of Reno, Nevada, on an exchange with the University of Newcastle Mm. business students. Uh, And some of the observations have been really... um, kind of the things that you want everybody to notice. So the first thing I'd like to tell businesses is to to look at everything through the eyes of a tourist every now and again. So even when you're wandering down a a familiar street that you, you might go down every day or the way that you travel to work, have a look at it through the eyes of a tourist because looking at... For example, Sydney or Newcastle, through the eyes of these exchange students, was quite remarkable, and the level of their um, the level of their involvement with their university went from anything from an MBA um, graduate graduate study to undergraduate studies in communications, business, you know, etc. So mm. there was quite a range of, um, a mix. of yeah, there was a mix of students, but the way that they viewed things made us look at things differently as well. So we had our University of Newcastle students um, interacting with the University of of Nevada students. And three things, I guess, that I noticed in particular. um, One of them was, don't be scared to change your business as things progress, even to the extent of changing the name. So one of the businesses that we had that um, that came to speak to the students was a business that was originally called SeniorsHousing.com and has now gone to Downsizing.com. And I don't know about you, Julian, but I don't mm-hmm. know many people who would be classified in the seniors category that want to be called seniors for yeah. starters because, yeah. you know, the, as they say, the new, the new 60 is, is 40 or, you know, whichever way that, that's meant to be. So there's this whole perception that we are living longer, we are living longer, um, healthier, and that, you know, with longevity studies that are happening, we expect that to increase. So the whole idea about downsizing, and particularly as we enter the minimalist era, which, you know, we, we seem to be heading in, we're almost over. The overconsumption that we have been um, living in. So downsizing. com was was, is a perfect name, but that's a really good example of mm. change as you progress. And that business was founded because the two co-founders sat down one day to find some accommodation and some resources for their elderly parents and couldn't find anything. So business through necessity. They're, um, you know, mm. they're the ten-year overnight success story, um, but they have changed as they've gone on. Another business. Just, um, just before we
0: move on, there. Yep. I mean, to me, that's uh, a. We often have come up with business names that don't always mean enough, and, and I think that change of business name is a fantastic uh, example of that. Um, it is. Would you also include changing up grading logos and things like that?
2: Um, yes and no. So sometimes we most, most yes and no. Sometimes we get sick of our own logos and we get sick of our own identity much 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 before other people do. Mm. So, when you live in something constantly and you go, you know, it's time for a change, that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's, you know, out there thinking that it's time your logo changed. I think a really good example of that was. Um, or other supermarkets who have not, they haven't changed their name and they haven't changed their logos completely, but they've made modifications mm. um, to bring it into the modern era. They've given mm. um, logos, etc., cleaner looks. And I'm talking about the major, all the major supermarkets here, you know, without naming any of them, mm. all of mm. them have done this upgrade um, to, to create a fresh image, but they haven't lost their initial identity. Mm. Um, Connections. I think connections are absolutely crucial, and we need to be making lots of connections constantly. There's a young company called Easy Aid who have been reaching out far and wide. They've got a, a very easy medical device. Again, born through necessity, uh, and through something that happened to their their firstborn um, when their firstborn was born, and the the facilities and the devices that were attached. Um, to this, to this young child, um, led them to create something that, which, that was much simpler and much kinder to um, to their son, and, and now you know will will affect the lives of many, many people to come. But constantly reaching out to make new contacts, they now have a meeting with a supplier in Germany. But it's only because they have consistently gone out to different people. So. You know, people go, oh, isn't that lucky? And, and we've had this discussion before. It's not luck. It's how many opportunities you create for yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you keep creating them, one of them is bound to come off. Um, the other, the other, uh, yesterday we spent some time at eBay, um, who are launching a new product and we had a discussion. There were probably 15 people in the room and had a discussion about who are you launching this new product at? Um, and out of 15 people in the room, I can tell you there were probably five or six different ideas on who this new product would best suit. So even, even at the level of international organisations, you still need to have these discussions about who are you aiming at. And potentially it doesn't mean that you aim specifically for one group and that's going to be the end of it. You might start with a niche group and then build out as you get the, um, the validation and as you get the, um, the results that you're after, it may be that that's then when you create your next avatar, for example, of a, of a target market that you want to reach out to. But, you know, the, the smaller the target market that you can actually alpha and beta test with first, um and iron bugs out of the out of systems and out of um processes the better it is in the long run for your organization and you know there was a a, um when amazon launched for example and it was in australia and and it was that whole kerfuffle and it didn't work and you know then we had to go back to to not having um not having the service and then there was a soft launch that came after it because they didn't want to make the same mistakes Mm. it's a kind of perfect example of Get your alpha and beta testing right, know exactly what you're doing, know who the target market is that you're initially launching at um, and, and build from there.
0: Sounds like a, a, what you, the exercise you've just been going through with those students is a good advocate for having focus groups in your business.
2: It, it is. Yeah. You know, there's and there's some research out on that that says potentially focus groups aren't the way to go. But I think it's actually mm-hmm. the way you run that focus group yeah. and where you pick them from. So I know a couple of organizations that picked, you know, 10 of their best friends and said, can you please come and, and be my focus group? What are your best friends going to tell you? They're going to go, yeah, Everything that's great, fantastic. Yeah, you know, have a piece of pizza, have a glass of wine or a beer, yeah. um, and you know, that was a lovely evening we all got together. I think um, I was actually part of a, a tester group this morning, now that you mentioned that, um, and they showed me a website and I just, it, it was not reflective for me of what the organisation was yeah. trying to represent at all. Mm. You know, so I was really upfront, open. Um, and said, I don't, think, I don't think this website look is suitable for what you want. But that's only my opinion, mm, you know, right. and I'm one out of how many people that potentially may use this site. Exactly. Um, but I think when you're asked to do something like that, you owe the people absolute honesty yeah. um, and absolute reflection of what your thoughts are.
0: Great. Well, thanks very much for your time, Christina. We'll have a chat with you next week. Time for our Harvard Business Review tip. And we all know that uh, giving feedback to our team members is important. So this particular one, make quick, direct feedback a part of your routine. Many managers don't give effective feedback because they're simply pressed for time. There are three ways to make this easier for you and your employee. First of all, create a standard way in. Reduce the time you spend mulling over each conversation by establishing a simple, routinised way to open feedback discussions. I'm going to give you some feedback, or are you open to coaching on this? Get immediate attention and get the right tone. Second, be blunt. If you've said maybe you could, or asked an employee to think about a performance issue, you're likely to not be blunt enough. Be honest sincere and personal while addressing the issue head, head on. And finally, ask him or her to play it back. To avoid having the same conversation again and again, make sure your employee can clearly explain what they need to do to change or do next. So some interesting points there. Feedback is just so important. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at getting your business ready for sale and moving your goals as your years and business progress. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favorites. Next week, we're going to visit the social media world with Kimberly Clare Campbell from the Hunter Region Business Hub. We'll have our minute on innovation with Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, The Law and You at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and as Winston Churchill once said, success is not final, failure is not final. It is the courage to continue that counts. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.